This is the Deep Color podcast series. Deep Color is an oral history project where I talk with artists about their work and their lives. The ultimate goal here is to give listeners a better understanding about the experiences and people behind the artwork. My name is Joseph Hart, and I produce and facilitate this series. These recordings are casual, straight on, and unscripted. This episode profiles Catherine Bradford. Catherine makes paintings that often feature groups of people congregating around an impressive event, like a massive bonfire, or scenes of swimmers floating and wading in water. Other works depict a superhero clad in costume, soaring in open space. The atmosphere and forms in Catherine's paintings are all treated with an abbreviated touch that results in a visual otherworldliness. The works are hazy, cool and warm, eerie and inviting. We recorded the following conversation at her studio in the Williamsburg section of Brooklyn. Because it's hard. You know, one time I was riding in a taxi and the taxi driver said, what do you do? And I said, I'm an artist. And he immediately said, are you any good? <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought, you know, that... That cuts right to it yeah. because people are not interested in artists unless they're big deals, mm-hmm. unless they prove themselves. Did Otherwise, we're all just fakes. Right. <laughs> did, you, did you tell the, the cab driver, of course, I'm, I'm good? I don't know what I said, but, <laughs> but I'll never forget being questioned like that. Right. It's a tough one. And I hate to put you on the spot, but um, I'm always curious. I guess I wrestled with that question, um, or I have wrestled with that question, too, because it seems like a little bit of a trap. Um, How do I respond to that? How do I identify myself as an artist? How do I package what I do in such a way that it'll engage this person? Exactly. Or or, um, 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 help them understand or make them comfortable or something like that so and and you're an abstract artist which i think is really hard to explain yeah why why that is meaningful yeah to to someone who's not involved in what we do that's well said um so yeah we're in your in your studio you have i don't know a dozen big paintings are these all in progress i knew you were going to say that is that a is that a, a fraught question, asking if they're finished or if they're right? Yeah. Don't you think so? I mean, yeah. it's, it's very yeah. hard to know when yeah. when something's done. But I think the one with the fire, which has women standing around it, unlike the one at Sproney Westwater, that yeah, painting men in that one. That's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. <clears throat> this painting is going to go <clears throat> to uh, the Independent Fair in March. Okay as well as this one of a superhero over here, mm-hmm. kind of an older female superhero. Mm-hmm. And and I guess I'd like to try and describe some of the things that I think about when I look at your work. I think about togetherness. I think about um, um, some sort of congregation around a natural element. We mentioned the bonfire. I know you've You've recently done a um, um, a series of paintings of, uh, about water or swimming and being on the uh, at the beach. Um, the most recent stuff also has something t- for me to do about nighttime, um, and that's just the the color palette that you're using, sort of suggesting a time when the sun is not necessarily high in the sky. Um, 
but these are also telling me a story of some sort. There's um, interactions between these people. Maybe they're looking for something or searching or wandering. Um, but, but, you know, actually there aren't interactions between the people. I could argue that this one right here with your with the superhero, you're right. They're the the superhero is looking at me, um, but the superhero's relativity to that figure in the background is an interaction for me visually. Maybe that's what I oh, meant to say. Oh, visually. Yeah. Oh yes. Okay. So, um, is there anything from that list that you would strike, or um, something important that I left out? Well. To go back to your original question, mm -hmm. I tell people that I do landscapes, okay, and that throws everything way off because they think I go outside and paint the landscape. Yeah, the mountains and the trees and it, the clouds. Right. Uh -huh. But people can relate to that. They know about people who paint landscapes. Yeah. And and that and then I say, no, I don't um, go outside and paint. I paint f I I paint from my imagination. I make up the landscape mm -hmm. and and I can s feel the distrust of that. Mm -hmm. And so I have to try and defend my position there. Mm -hmm. Um and and some of the things I've I've um noticed you've talked about in other interviews are ideas around vulnerability and fear and enchantment um, is the is the vulnerability I think you were referring to perhaps the swimmers you know we're sort of half naked in these bathing suits in the water um, we don't know what's under the water sometimes um, uh, you know there's some mystery there um, could you elaborate on on those ideas a little bit um, and why well, they might well, be important to you right it, it's true a, one question I get is why are you why are you painting swimmers? Mm -hmm. In thinking that I'm interested in swimming, which I was, I, I, I was on a lot of swimming teams. I was on a college swimming team, and uh, you I swam did, competitively. I did. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not sure that has much to do with these paintings. No, no, I don't. There's no racing going on in them. I was around water and mm -hmm. people swimming, mm -hmm. and and like you, I know I know New England. I mm -hmm. know the coast of, I know the coast of Maine, mm -hmm. and so on. A bad place for swimming, by the way. Very rocky. Very cold. Very cold, yes. Um, but I fell into using swimmers as characters because they. They're kind of classic. I didn't have to worry about what kind of clothes I was going to put on them, mm -hmm. and they were and they were exposed to me in a way that made them vulnerable, as you say. Mm -hmm. We're looking at them, and they're and they don't have much to cover them up, or you know, just the opposite of those old portraits of kings and so on, where that are way over costumed. Yeah. Where where everything about it shows how powerful, just tells us exactly who mm. who they are and what place they have in society. So I'm trying to keep all the people in my paintings to be, well, they don't have f 
facial features, most of them, mm-hmm. and I don't make a big deal out of what's a female and what's a male. Mm-hmm. So I want it to be a kind of universal image, mm-hmm. maybe so the viewer can identify sure. with the people. That sure, that's well said. I was just thinking about the, the, the beach or the ocean or plate places, pools where people are swimming. It's a great evening, right? Where if we're all in our suits, we're sort of brought down to um, a level that we're, we're, we're almost equals in a way. You know, we yes, can't, exactly. We can't uh, strut our stuff through our expensive outerwear or something like that. Um, yes, and, yeah. and, and so all the paintings I've done of pools and ponds and people swimming together it's, is a way of saying that we're all in the same pool. Yeah. Our and, sauces and all. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm curious how you begin one of these. Um, you know, maybe we'll get into the technical, practical stuff now. You, you, you said you paint from, or you create these out of your imagination. Um, does it start with a, um, a sketch or some sort of small study, or do you just jump right into these? Are these like, what, five by four feet or something like that? The the biggest ones are 80 inches okay. by 68. Okay. Well, I used to. I, I've been painting for decades. Mm-hmm. I, I used to um, do a lot of work on paper, and then I did a lot of small paintings. Now I just start the big paintings by putting paint down. Mm-hmm. And I've found a way to discover the imagery while I paint, through, okay. the, through the process of putting the paint down. So it sounds responsive. You're making yes. putting paint down and responding to it um, and measuring as you go. Yeah. But, Composing you know, I've done it so many times that it's not that chancy as it may sound mm-hmm. because I, can, I know what happens when I put a dark color over a light color. It starts looking like water. Right, right. It's instinctual at this point for you, it sounds like. Putting putting these pictures together. Yes. Yeah. And um, are these acrylic? They are. They're, they're acrylic on canvas or panel? They're all canvas. They're all canvas. I'm curious um, why acrylic? I know you've, you, you've made paintings with oil as well, but why acrylic right now? Acrylic is the right now medium. <laughs> well... I use I I got interested in acrylic because it had fluorescent colors. Okay. Which, which wow that they, that's fun to use. Mm-hmm. You, you see that fire in the bonfire. Mm-hmm. Now I I couldn't have created that without fluorescent orange, fluorescent red. Mm-hmm. And most of these paintings have a little bit of fluorescent something in them. Right. And. Um, but that's not the only reason I use acrylic colors use acrylic paint. I use acrylic paint because it skips over all the years of old master oil paintings. I I ha- I wanted to distance myself sure. from the oil paint look. Mm-hmm. And I found that I was a little less fussy when I used acrylic. I, I used big brushes mm-hmm. and... Uh, would I, you say that acrylic helped you loosen up a little bit? I think it did. Yeah. And would you say that, um, I'm just curious, I guess, connected to the, the mark that you're getting. Um, there's a haze and like a fuzziness to the way that you are depicting your 
figures and forms is that connected to the um the body of the acrylic paint or is that just something that has evolved over time and it's just how stuff comes out of you it, it's something that I like to look at. It's an effect. I love transparency. Mm -hmm. So the haze, you know what? It might be related to all the fog in Maine, okay. which I find very beautiful, yeah. l looking through a, a sort of atmospheric. Yeah, it simplifies things visually. Sort yes, of, it, it does. It brings it down to the essence. sort of the essential shapes and essence. Yeah, yeah right. That's, that's interesting. Um, do you ever get run into people that are sort of purists about painting and they're like, oh, you know, oil paint. It's not a painting unless it's oil paint. Have you ever rubbed up against that? Not so much that, but... Or fallout from using acrylic. You think using acrylic is so radical? I, I do not. I use acrylic paint myself. Um, but I, I feel like I do have people in my orbit that are like, if you're going to make a painting, use oil paint type of attitude, which I disagree with. I'm just curious if you've ever come across that as well. No, I, m most of my painter friends were applauding the acrylic. Cool. Yeah, I, I wonder if, I mean, people have baggage for different reasons. I was just curious if uh, you've ever run into the same types of people I sometimes run into. Oh, probably. Like <laughs> probably <laughs> yeah. we do run into the same types yeah. of people um I, no but i i do get people saying why why don't i did you know i have groups of students in here and i remember one guy said young guy mm -hmm. said are uh, do you ever wish you painted more realistically and and i <laughs> i really jumped on him yeah and see that little note that i tacked on that column yeah. that's th he wrote a note to me before he left apologizing an, an apology letter yes that's beautiful <laughs> <laughs> because he realized he had kind of insulted me sure and he didn't mean to sure but so i i find what people look down their nose on is painters who seemingly don't put the details in right and don't have uh, highly skilled ways of giving you the image right yeah I, that sounds like a kind of a perfect student question though do you wish that you painted more realistic um i would also throw in like how long did that take you to make as another like quintessential student-like question um yeah i guess on time i think i read that you spend sometimes over um a year working on these they, they develop you sort of work on them then put them away then pull them back out and put another layer on how how much time do you spend with these paintings as you prepare them for the for their finish line well the that time that year and it was true mm -hmm. when I, when i had a show at canada um of swimming paintings there were two paintings in that show that i had worked on for a couple of years but it wasn't me standing in front of the painting slapping the paint on for two years it was deciding what the painting was going to be about how i was going to resolve it what mm -hmm. was important about it there i did a painting called called fathers and it was a wading pool in this in the sky in a night sky and it had uh, men sitting around the edge of it 
under that image of the wading pool was an airplane flying through the sky. Mm -hmm. And I looked at that airplane for a long time. I put little windows in it. I, I tried to get the stars to be interesting. But it, I finally realized that what was boring about that painting was if you have a sky with an airplane in it, so what? That's very expected. And that was the problem with the painting. And so I went down to Miami to the art fairs. You know, getting on a plane and going to Miami in December, you, you are thrown into another planet mm -hmm. when you get off that plane. It's balmy air. Yeah. It's people walking around in shorts. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's very physical. Yes. That whole temperature change. And there were a lot of pools. The art fair was held at a big hotel. In the back were all these beautiful turquoise pools that were lit up at night. And I felt as though I was in one of my paintings. Or I just felt very at home there. Hmm. And I realized that what my airplane painting needed was a pool. And so I, when I got back to New York... I painted the pool over the airplane. It covered up the airplane. I covered up the uh -huh. airplane. And and so that's why it seems as though that painting took a long time to right. make. That, that's the arc it took. Yeah, sometimes these things, you know, need to saute for a little longer before you get back at them so you can think about them and maybe have an experience like that that you can find the answer in and then apply it to the work. It's pretty agonizing waiting around it is. It is. with a with a piece that is unsatisfactory. Yeah, and you, and, and you, you can't quite p figure out what it is. Yeah, you just you know to, it's wrong. You have to diagnose it, and your friends will tell you that it's just not a very interesting painting. But to mm -hmm. figure out what it should be takes I don't know what a yeah. mir a miracle. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about your workflow. Do you work on more than one painting at a time or do you focus on one and like dedicate, you know, your energies to that? Or are you sort of bouncing around them? I, I, I'm bouncing around. Yeah. But, but sometimes one painting will absorb me. Sure. More than the others. Sure. Do you feel that coming? Like, oh, this one needs me. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to embrace it and I'm going to um, give it what it needs. And these ones, you know, are going to be secondary for a little while. Can you anticipate that? Like as it's coming together, like, Oh, this is, this is going to get my attention for the next three weeks. When I come into my studio in the morning, I have a cup of tea. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't have any coffee or tea until I get here. So it sort of gets me here quicker. Sure. Incentive. Incentive. Uh -huh. And as I'm waking up in here, I look at, what's around me and I try and decide what needs my attention and what seems done and what seems uh, terrible <laughs> what and um, that and I do that in the morning because that's when I'm clearest and I have the most courage I think mm -hmm. and sometimes I just jump up and attack a painting mm -hmm. that needs fixing. Yeah. Those reactions are important. And I love having those feelings. I wish I had them more. I agree. Yeah. I wonder if there's a way to cultivate it 
um, I know, do you ever retrace your steps when you, when you've had that feeling and sort of back up, sort of reverse engineer it to try and, and, and try and parse where it came from so that you can recreate that feeling? You know, maybe that's asking too much. <clears throat> I don't know. I, I think maybe because as the day goes on, I, I care less and less and I know that I have to stop painting when I look around the room and I just think, oh, these are okay. I can stop. Yeah. I, I, do, I don't have the motivation to tackle them. Right, right. I'm always curious about the psychology of the artist while they're working and whether or not they are focused on the, what they, it is they're making that has most of their attention or, or they're thinking about things completely unrelated or maybe it's a mix of some of this and some of that. Um, and I'm curious what, what goes through your head while you're making these paintings. I'm gonna. Someone asked Joan Mitchell that. Yeah. In a in a film, and she said, "I'm thinking about painting. I'm I'm thinking about how the painting is gonna arrive at being a good painting." So I say. I mean, other thoughts come into my head. Sure. I. I guess it may it might be a selfish selfish question. Um, you know, for my own interest, I sometimes hit a wall when I I'm actually focusing on what I'm making. I have, I'm my own worst enemy. And when I start thinking about what I'm doing, I tighten up and some weird pressure comes in. So I find myself thinking about everything, but the thing I'm working on. And I think, you know, maybe my, my work welcomes out a bit more than, you know, maybe a more representational, um, image, uh, or painting, but, um, yeah, sometimes I think the, the, the act of making is a hurdle or an obstacle for me. And yeah. I try and trick myself out of it. Like, oh, you're not painting, you're, you know. So I'm thinking about things like uh, that stuff I got to get at the grocery store or that, that chapter in the book I read last night or some lesson plan for next week's class. And um, yeah, I was just curious if those well, sorts of things revolve sometime, around Sometimes I see a painting out of the corner of my eye and mm -hmm. I see it newly. And that give, gives me a clue as to where to take it. Mm -hmm. But you know, another thing I used to do, not so much now, but I used to imagine one of my paintings at a gallery that I admired, a gallery oh. that was way above my level. You'd and visualize it in that gallery. Yeah, I'd okay. visualize it in the gallery. And then I'd start cringing because it, I, I knew it wasn't, it wasn't good enough. Why? What was wrong? Was the color off? Was it too little? Was it too... Did I try too hard? And that gave me some answers doing that. Mm -hmm. That's well put. Do you, do you let outside voices come in while um, you're working on these paintings? And I, outside voices, I guess, um, you know, maybe you're thinking of a, a close friend or another painter that you like, and, oh, what would, you know, Timmy think about this move that I'm making right here? Or um, another voice um, might be uh, a gallerist that you work with, and uh, or or you know, marketplace concerns. Do those voices enter your orbit while you're um, making these paintings? It, yes, they do. But you know, it, lately, and for me, that that's the past maybe ten years. I've been able to get into a kind of zone uh -huh. where where I re I'm really closely in the atmosphere of the painting. 
the world. I'm I'm creating a world. You're you're a participant in it. Yes, and and I can feel if it's if it's too sunny or too uh, sweet mm-hmm. or uh, needs more blank space or mm-hmm. needs more people or and and you know how to get in that zone is something that I've tried to explain or help students get there mm-hmm. that want to mm-hmm. and I, I'm not really sure h- how to do it yeah it might be unanswerable that's like a spiritual quest to get into the painting enough so that there's a very clear dialogue between you and it. Yeah, but think how much is written about how to do spiritual quests. Yeah, that's true. Shelves and shelves of books. Mm-hmm. But I like that. I, I like thinking of it as a quest. Mm-hmm. And and if it's a spirit quest, I think that's probably true. Sure. Are, are, do you find the act of making these relaxing? I, I don't know about relaxing, but I, I'm pretty obsessed about it. Mm-hmm. You know what I think? I think it's intense, and I love the intensity mm-hmm. of being an artist. Yeah, like you're, like you're on the edge of your seat, kind mm-hmm. of. And when I have a break, like family holidays, mm-hmm. which I enjoy, but I do miss the intensity of working in one studio. Mm-hmm. Are you in here? F- um, regularly, five days a week. How how often are you in here? I I can pretty much paint as much as I want now. Okay. I I teach, I teach in New Haven mm-hmm. on Tuesdays. So you take so you're one day up there, and then yeah, you're in here, and I'm sure it depends on exhibition schedules and stuff, um, and and deadlines. How often you're in here too? I was just curious. If, but but you know that's a re- yeah. that's a recent thing. Yeah. Um, I, in in my, in in the past, I I would have three, four, five days of teaching. Mm-hmm. Do you like the fact that you're able to be here more versus all that teaching? That switch. I, yes, I do. Yeah, I think it's great. Yeah. Um, I, I guess think I, it, you know what I think. I think it's heaven. Yeah. And I loved raising children, but I'm very glad that I'm not raising children. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, you know, I was curious about the the relaxation thing, because I think I've read in a couple other interviews you've done that you have a hard time relaxing. Is this true? Am I misremembering that? <laughs> oh, um, it's true. And I, I identify with that, too, which is why I wanted to talk to you about it. I... And you can, you know, ask any, anyone that's close to me um, how good I am at relaxing, and they'll laugh and say that's probably his weakest part of his character. But um, I'm wondering where that comes from. Have you ever been able to, like, find the origin of why it's hard for you to relax? Yeah, but do you really want to relax? At times I do, yeah, for sure. I think I'll probably live longer if I can figure out how to relax more. Well, and I don't, when I say relax, I don't mean like, you know, put my yeah. feet up and watch TV. I mean like emotionally and, you know, maybe if we go back into that spiritual question, relax spiritually. Um, you know, the, I think the life of an artist in New York City um, 
is, is not all, relaxing. Is not relaxing sometimes. Um, or but artists have a hard time contextualizing it as it as being relaxing. Um, you know, there's plenty of obstacles and uh, you know uphill battles, but. Um, I'm curious uh, where what your thoughts are on it. My, my fear would be fear of boredom, not fear of of uh, not relaxing. Right, you need to move. You need to make stuff. Yeah. Or you? I I think I'm very yeah. driven, mm -hmm. which I think is a gift. Yeah, I think that's probably part of my, and I see that in my father too. Actually, he doesn't like to sit still, even on, you know, he's mostly retired now, but he's still busy as a bee. I mean, he'll sit down to read the paper, but he needs to be moving. And sometimes I wonder if that's, if we sit still, we have to start thinking about things and maybe some of those things we want, we don't want to think about. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah. Yeah. But you're relaxing. Talk, is a you're, trick. you're talking about physical movement. I'm, I'm talking about a state of mind. Okay. For me, they're connected. I think they are connected. Yeah. But as far as being in a studio making paintings, I like to be um, fully engaged. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's important. And, and a lot of other things in life don't ask you to be fully engaged. And so they're not as interesting as this making art. This is true. Art. That's well said. They don't ask you to think the way that we ask, our, we ask ourselves to think while we're making these things. Um, you know, you started. You've, you've brought up teaching a couple times. You teach. You teach up in Yale, um, and you used to teach in Philadelphia. That's right. Is that right? Is there, um, you know, in your years of teaching, um, something important that you hope your students take from your instruction? Well, yes. And now you're going to say, "What do you think?" <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it, it's a. It's an empowering feeling to be with students and see them writing down what you're saying. Yeah. And you, and you hope that it's valuable. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, very fresh in my memory is all the teachers I've had and all the things I've written down and, and the great hunger I had to learn. Mm -hmm. Like, wow, like how does one become an artist? How do you get there? How do you reach a point where you can make a painting that people care about? What is it? And I was wanted those clues mm -hmm. badly. Mm -hmm. I have 16 notebooks full of notes. See them over there? From when you were a student? Big black notebooks. Wow. Not from when I was when a student. From when I was a younger artist. Okay. Just a, just your collection of questions and ideas and um, thoughts all. It's kind of like a, is it almost like a, a, a diary or a journal? A lot of it is uh, notes I took during studio visits. Oh. And when, after a studio visit, I would write down what happened. Oh, that's right. I think I know that you did that. Um, you know, another thing that um, I wanted to ask you about was how your work has evolved over time uh oh that little tiny question yeah that little tiny question right that hopefully we'll have a big beautiful answer uh you used to make uh i think i read you made mark making paintings is this accurate? i did yeah yes how did you get from making were they abstract 
mark making paintings? They were. Yeah. How did you get from making those types of paintings to these more kind of narrative figurative paintings? I think it has to do with the with the way I became an artist, which which it was unconventional. Okay. Because I really didn't start painting until I was in my thirties. Okay. Which is late, I know. And it was sort of a gamble at that point. And I did not have undergraduate art experience. Mm-hmm. I went to a college that had very good history of art, but didn't have studio art. And when I uh, got married, we moved to Maine in the 70s, which was a very exciting place because it was filled with a lot of people pouring in from the Peace Corps. Mm -hmm. It was kind of a back-to-the-land, hippie, commune environment. Mm -hmm. And you were born in New York. I was. Okay, so you went from an urban upbringing to uh, to Maine? I went from a conventional upbringing okay. to Maine where where things were being busted open. Okay. And I took advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the first time, I met artists that I could identify with. I, f- I finally saw what an artist did, that it was a way of life in a way, mm-hmm. that it was a way of going through life. That it was that it was big. It wasn't about uh, having a little easel right. and and making a, a reputable painting. Right. Yeah, it's much more holistic than that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now there's a '70s word. Holistic. Yeah. <laughs> Our bodies, ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I became part of a community that was full of poets and painters and builders and dancers and singers and and so to make a painting to me involved taking a paintbrush dipping it in paint and putting it on the canvas just making something right so it didn't come from foundation courses color theory drawing from the model all that Mm -hmm. I, I never had right so I wanted to make the paintings that looked like the people I thought were great and some of the artists that I saw early on one artist that really fired me up was Joan Snyder's paintings that she did in the 70s do you know the ones I mean um you know I've probably seen them but I'm terrible with names they're they're called stroke paintings stroke paintings they're they're fabulous okay she probably wouldn't like that because that was her first body of work okay but uh, when I saw those stroke paintings, I thought, that's it. I want to do that. So that was an early influence. It was like Vincent van Gogh exploded. The strokes were as strong and as sexy as van Gogh's, but they didn't describe anything. Okay. They were in rows, and she let, it, and she let them drip, and they were little, and rows of little ones, rows of big ones. It was like she was... She was organizing all the strokes of a painting mm-hmm. in this crazy way. Right. It looked like such fun. Yeah. So I wanted to do paintings like that. I ne- it never occurred to me to try and, you know, all fr- there were friends of mine who wanted to paint like Poussin or, uh-huh. or Cezanne. Uh-huh. But that, that was farthest from my mind. Yeah, I like that you mentioned it looked like fun. 
and you wanted to maybe try and chase that feeling? Yes. Yeah? Yes, I've always associated making art with fun. With joy. And sort of rebellious. Mm -hmm. Sort of like uh, make a painting that wasn't like old master paintings. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. Would you say you're having fun working on these? I, I think so, yes. Yeah, they look, I mean, from where I sit, they look like you're having fun. Well, we're both smiling now. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm a believer in, in, in like support networks around the artists. Um, you know, I think the work we make is the sum of many parts, um, just as we as people are the sum of many parts. Our family, um, the books that we read, our friends, the other stuff we see. Um, and I'm curious if, if, if you could describe who your support network is. Like, who's, you made these paintings, but like, who else are they indebted to, if anyone or anything? That's a yes, big question. It is a big question. Yeah. I have a friend who calls that our compost heap. That we, <laughs> we have to keep, That's well said. That we have to keep p putting stuff on yeah. our compost heap yeah. in order to get some. Well, I think I think it's nice to hear these so things. Yeah. soil. Yeah, I think it's nice to hear who who have helped these things become along the way. Well, another artist that inspired me when I saw her work was Susan Rothenberg, because mm -hmm. she did big fields of of very muscular strokes she was putting the paint on and then in that field she would find her horse image early on mm -hmm. I thought that was so exciting cool and so rebellious too because most people were making color field painters paintings with no image and to put a big silhouette of a horse as the painting seemed revolutionary to me. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, you know, a, a reoccurring theme in these recordings that I do is is um, the artist as a problem solver. And, uh, you know, it's something I'm interested in. I think creative people and artists are, you know, some of the best problem solvers around these days. Um, and some of the worst. And some of the worst, yeah. We can always flip it. Um, but I'm curious what sorts of problems arise in here for you as a painter and if you have any tricks for getting out of those creative ruts or things that you do to um, get back to having fun or finding the fun in, in the act of making these is there anything that you do well um, I think sometimes my paintings are too sweet or even too accessible which wasn't a problem for a long time. I think I did paintings that no one understood or related to. So to move them into an area where, um, you see that painting behind you? It's two bicyclists under a starry sky. Yeah. And I did that this summer and everyone who saw it said, oh, I love that. I think, I think people want to think about riding a bike at night it's just a, a a place you want to be, mm -hmm. but maybe that's too quick. Maybe the painting is too fast. And then more recently, I did this painting. Fast? You mean like the amount of labor that was put into it? No. Or the way you made the mark? No, the reading of it. Oh, oh, okay. Like, oh, I love that. Yeah, it was so, too quick. So it's too easy. Sure. 
It's too likable. <laughs> okay. You you know New York paintings they have to be kind of grumpy. Yeah. They can't let you in right away. Oh no. There's a little bit of an obstacle course to get them. Right. Yeah. And this this painting here of the superhero mm -hmm. standing in the water. I think people like that painting more than I thought they would. I thought there was something a little ugly and grotesque about it. Mm -hmm. But I learned that maybe that was uh, an edge that I need to explore more and not make my painting so welcoming. So the realization of, of y your paintings um, being read or experienced too quickly you saw as a problem, and to resolve that problem, you just went back into them and added to them? or, or I, I don't think I have resolved that problem. Okay. I'm talking to you now about a problem that I'm, that I'm working on. Sure. Do you ever come in here and not want to paint? No. Thank God. Yeah. I, you know, I hope I, I hope I don't lose the desire, right. which is almost more of a desire, right. to make these paintings. Right. Um, you know, one thing that helps, and I'm almost reluctant to say this, is that I was prevented from having a full studio life for so long. I it was. What was preventing you? Uh, parenthood or other things? Parenthood, money, mm -hmm. uh, space, the fact that when I started making paintings, I already had a pretty full life. Mm -hmm. I had an organic garden. Talk about time. Mm -hmm. And a wood stove and wood piles. And um, I was living the full country life. And I imagined what it would be like to be a real artist. And How I, were you defining a real artist? Someone that was just painting every day, all day? Someone who you met, and they and they knew the life. Okay. And I and I knew I wasn't living that life. Right. Right. That holistic thing we were talking about earlier. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> to use a seventies. Yeah, I, I wasn't holistic. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't a holistic artist at all. Right. Um. You know, I think uh, you know. I read a few interviews with you and preparing to come over here, and one of the one of the um things I thought was incredibly thoughtful that you said, or, or, or you talked about being interested in um, making brave paintings. And I, was, I, th I thought that was your phrase, not mine. No, that was yours. I'll take brave, it if you don't want it. Brave paintings? Yeah. Okay. I think it was in that uh, beer in the studio thing. Beer with a painter. Beer with a painter. Mm -hmm. um, and I wondered if, if you have any criteria for what, how you would define a brave painting? Well, I remember going into Canada Gallery on Christie Street, and Joe Bradley had his breakthrough show mm -hmm. of what he called his Schmagoo paintings, yeah. which were later shown at the Museum of Modern Art. Mm -hmm. And they those were the stick figure ones, just or yes. the like oil stick on untreated canvas. Canvas, yeah. That's what I noticed first, that, mm -hmm. that he had stretched kind of dirty pieces of canvas. Yeah. You could see that he'd walked on them, and, mm -hmm. that, and they, that they were just 
was kind of uncared for. Mm-hmm. And then he'd done hardly anything on each one. Right. There was a stick figure, but the stick figure was on its side. Right. Which and he, and he did like um, a fish form too. I think he did. He, yeah, he did. And I, I was confused because I thought this, this, mm-hmm. this is good, and it was ex- an exciting feeling. Yeah. But the longer I looked at them, and the more I thought about them, which we all could because they became part of the conversation for many months after that, I realized how brave they mm-hmm. were. That each one had a huge message. Not only was there that stick figure, but there was also a cross. And next to the cross was the emblem of Superman. Right. So he was saying something about big presence, Mm -hmm. the big presence, spiritual. Mm -hmm. He was kind of saying. And the symbols that represent those presence. The crucifix, the S on the shield. Yes. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. he and he was saying, "Is this is this important? Mm-hmm. Is this enough? Mm-hmm. Is this visually satisfying yeah. to look at?" That's a great question. Is this enough? Yeah. I think. Um, Have I made a painting? Yeah. Do you accept this? Yeah. I I thought it was just uh, fabulous. Yeah, I love those paintings, and and I, I would agree that those are brave, and you know. The fact that he trusted himself through that, just right up. And I, I know it's a collaboration with the gallery. The gallery's got to be excited and behind them as well and support them. But um, I, I shared some of those same feelings. And um, and and he, he was yeah. called re- retarded. For the, making those paintings? Well, they were described as retarded right. paintings. He may have said that himself. He may have. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess connected to that, I'm wondering if you think, you know, you know, I like this, this theme that we're talking about, you know, the life of an artist is, is, is more, it's beyond just, you know, putting paint on a picture, the, the act of it, the activity of it. Um, do you think being an artist is a courageous act in itself? I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I wouldn't, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to say courageous. No. I think a lot of people resent artists mm-hmm. because we appear to be um, enjoying life. Yeah. Or, I, I don't know, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about contemporary art, and mm-hmm. I don't want to add to that. Right. I guess I ask, I think about it, you know, if we could circle back to, you know, ideas about vulnerability mm-hmm. and um, showing ourselves. You know, when I put a painting out in public and in, in an exhibition in a show you know I feel completely vulnerable um, you know because I've resolved a lot of problems as I said when I'm working on my stuff I'm sort of thinking about everything but what I'm working on I'm thinking about the future what the future holds and how I'm going to raise these kids into kind loving human beings and I find some answers while I'm working on my paintings and then those answers or those solutions are connected to that actual painting that is now out for everyone to see. And I know it, you know, the viewer's not going to pick up on that, but for me it's there. And I have that, that's like out in the open and like it takes, you know, it sounds absurd, but a certain amount of courage for me to put that out there like that. So, um, I'm not saving a life. Um, I'm not, um, you know, doing, 
social work or anything like that by putting a painting out there. Like those are, I think, acts of great courageousness. But in a way, I think it is a courageous act to put put work out there. Does but, that make sense? But, Did I just over-romanticize this? Well, I think the reason we band together yeah. and, and create this bubble around us uh -huh. and convene at openings and so on is to protect ourselves yeah. from questions like this. Yeah. Um, because we're all believers, yeah. And almost everyone I I run into is is uh, accepts the role of the artist. Mm -hmm. And and now I see on Facebook a lot of posts about how important art is after the election. Mm -hmm. And I think we're kind of trying to convince ourselves, but I do believe it's important. Yeah, I would agree. And we could go down a rabbit hole as to the reasons why. Maybe that's a conversation for another day, though. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm curious how you... Do you remember the first time... You know, you know, I just sort of went on a small rant about showing my work. Do you remember the first time you showed your work in a public setting when you put your paintings out there, the first show you had? Yes. Um, I was living in Brunswick, Maine, mm -hmm. and um, there was sort of a healthy pizza place where a lot of us like to go because the pizzas had probably tofu on them or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, i that's the first place I put up anything on the wall. In the pizza place? Yes. That's great. First, you know, I, I'm going to share a similar experience. First time I showed work was also in New England, in New Hampshire, in a rug shop on the walls, which is kind <laughs> of hilarious. I think that's courageous. <laughs> Uh, I think I was still a student, so um, yeah. Anyways, um, and then um, talk about humble beginnings. Yeah, and the and the first time I had a one person show was in Unity, Maine, at Unity College in something in a building that used to be a chicken coop, mm -hmm. and and I thought, you know, either this is really pathetic or really cool. Right. I'm sort of into these alternative ideas about where to put this stuff these days. I think they're kind of exciting. Definitely. Yeah. Um, that's a great arc from, you know, showing a painting um, in a pizza shop to the show that you recently opened up at Spurn and Westwater. Uh, and I'm curious how you prepared for that show. Did you, when you s have an opportunity to show this stuff, do you design it or, or do you just cu curate with the galleries through the stuff that you've been working on and sort of put the show together that way? How, how formulaic are you with it? The, the, the biggest difference was that I, I made my paintings large okay. because I felt that I needed to. Because for many years I didn't make large paintings and uh, there's a lot of debate around that. But I, I do, I think it's given me a chance to make a more sort of epic statement mm -hmm. rather than an intimate statement. I I think, I do think the one scale is, of the the paintings. The scale of the okay. painting. I th I think one is taken a little more seriously if you say it emphatically by making it yeah. big. Yeah, presence and power are directly connected to scale. I think sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> Well, like well, let, well let's let's take it. those Joe Bradley paintings, which weren't his biggest, right. but I think had they been, 
had they been easel size, I think they wouldn't have been as effective. No, I agree. He meant it. Yeah. He he took a he took that raw canvas, but he took a lot of it. Yeah, if they were smaller, they would have been passive. I that's think. right. Yeah. That's a that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Uh, and I love that you said arc. You know, if anything, my story has an arc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hopefully we, all our stories have an arc. Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess I asked if, if you, you know, designed that show, your most recent show, um, because there seemed to be a, a cohesion with the, the color palette. It was a lot of blues, a lot of violets, some sort of nighttimey, dusky skies. Um, and did, did, was that an idea before you even set out to present those paintings? No. So no. that came together as you were installing? or a- Angela Westwater ca- came here mm-hmm. uh, just as summer ended. And she had the choice of many paintings in here. Mm-hmm. And she picked out those. Okay. She realized that that would be a coherent group mm-hmm. because of the palette, as you say. Mm-hmm. But maybe other things, too. Sure. Oh. Well, I think compositionally, too, there's a nice rhythm from, and, you know, connected to the installation with how it flowed from painting to painting. So it made sense to me. She d- she did that. She did all that? You do, know, you, do you typically step back and let the gallerist sort of curate? Or, you know, have you ever had to advocate for yourself. No, I don't like, you know, that painting. I don't want to show that one. This one I really do. I'm fighting for this one. Well, what I learned is if you don't like a painting, don't show it to a dealer. Yeah. Hide it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, Angela Westwater's been running her gallery for as many decades as as I've been a painter. Mm -hmm. What about frustrations with the world of art in which you operate. If you, if you could put on your idealism hat and wave a wand to change something, um, would you change anything, or do you like how things are right now? I, I see, I see the demographics of the art world changing, and it's very exciting. Mm-hmm. I think the old model of the macho guy who was full of himself was a flawed model. Yeah, and it's disappearing Mm -hmm. and that's not admired and the younger male artists that I know I actually did a painting um, in homage to them called new men Mm -hmm. but I find them uh, able to listen to others and um, not strutting around that's just that's just not a good way to act yeah I, I don't like being there are certain artists that I know that the only conversations I've ever had with them are about them. And I, I think that's um, a part of artists, that they're egomaniacs, very narcissistic, and mm-hmm. sometimes they have to be in order to do what they do. Right. But I don't like that. Yeah. I'm, you're not alone. And it's not just... I don't like that either. <laughs> and it's not just males. Right. Yeah. It, but it, but I think... It, it crosses it crosses over into uh, women artists as well, for sure. I think a few decades ago, that was, that was okay, or that was permissible behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to maybe talk, get back into the, the paintings that we have in your studio right now. And I keep 
looking over at this this one that feels kind of allegorical you've got the moon um on the in the top sort of bleeding off the edge there's a thunderbolt there's a guy in sort of a um almost like an exercise pose uh, what i see is a, a as a male figure with the pants and there's looks like a, a female figure sitting on the lap of um another i don't know why i'm assigning gender to these characters but that one out of all the ones here seems to have a specific story to it um am i misreading it is there no and i'm so glad that you're interested in it yeah? I, I sort of left it out today to test it i i after i did it um john bisbee who's a sculptor said it that that was the origin story oh okay yeah it does have sort of a biblical essence to it or maybe a, a spiritual essence to it so so you're saying yes but also doesn't answer a lot of questions kind of poses a lot of questions mm -hmm. there's no there's no way to read that painting right i i was just kind of in a strange mood when, when i did it right it also has uh I mean, the composition is a bit more active than some of the other paintings with, with where the, the, the bigger forms are on the ground. Uh, so your eye, my eye at least, is moving through it um, well, in an interesting way. I mean, similar to the one next to it that's got, looks like swans or, or braziers or, or uh, I don't know what that form is. They, they were swans yeah. floating on the water, but, but, I, but then they started to look like bras yeah so so i made them more into bras okay that that painting is about the glass ceiling you see all those bras oh, okay. failed to go through that glass ceiling I see. above I so see. they're so they're just floating yeah well I'm, i guess i'm responding to the composition in those both these paintings because maybe there's just more forms and shapes in them than some of the others so my eye is ping-ponging around a bit more and um are these new new yeah i i think what you're seeing in the one that we're talking about the origin story mm -hmm. is that it's not a landscape they're all floating well it's they're sort of arranged in a neutral space would mm -hmm. you say yeah. well i i guess you could see the top is a sky right well, yeah, there's a galaxy and a, a, a sort of an outer space um, depiction up there. So, yeah. I, I'd like to get away from doing a landscape each time. Mm -hmm. I'd like to give myself the freedom of making, putting the characters mm -hmm. in the painting mm -hmm. w without a sky and a bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, I use the word floating, and I know that's a word that other people use when describing your work, whether they're floating in water or floating in space. Um, it seems like a reoccurring idea, gravity or lack thereof, and weight. Um, or even with the, the superhero paintings that you done, you, you've done, you know, the, the Superman figure is always soaring or arched over, flying through the air. Um, is that just, you know, uh, 
for fun or I'm curious w- why this keeps coming back? Uh, I, you know, I think I do the paintings that I like to look at and mm-hmm. think about. And the fact that Superman can be put anywhere in a painting is just thrilling to me. Mm-hmm. Gives, it gives you a lot of freedom. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, as open-ended as doing an abstract painting. Mm-hmm. So you, you're putting a person in there, and it could be up in the sky. Right. Yeah, you don't need a horizon line. You don't no. Need, you don't need a uh, above, middle, and below. It's just right. open space. Yes. Yeah. If you could have anyone buy for a studio visit, living or dead, sort of a dream visit, does anyone come to mind? Well, there are lots and lots of artists that I'm really interested in mm-hmm. whose work just is spellbinding to me. Mm-hmm. And one of them is Marston Hartley because he's so brave, as you say, mm-hmm. and his work is so visually powerful, but it also it's so emotional. Mm-hmm. However, I don't want him to come by for a studio visit because I'm not sure um, he'd, he'd be that nice to me no i think i think he would be dismissive of me and i might feel after he left that he just sat and talked about himself right so the person that i am fascinated with but i would like to sit down and talk to is elizabeth murray Mm -hmm. unfortunately she's no longer here no longer here Mm -hmm. so it this is a fantasy question. Sure, sure. So if if I could sit and have a conversation with Elizabeth Murray, I would love that because she uh, did top work. She was universally respected. Her paintings um, are ambitious. And here's the thing. She was nice. Yeah. And she seemed to have uh, a life that was sane mm-hmm. she had a happy marriage and children well she had two marriages three children mm-hmm. and that um really inspired me for many years yeah she sort of defied that narrative that great art has to come out of some tragic event or struggle she was happy yes yeah. and and i think the generation before, a lot of the women were kind of screwed up, alcoholic, and not good at relationships. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I I would just... <laughs> she was an outlier relative to that. She was great. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. d- when you have studio visits now, do you still maintain these journals where you take notes after each visit? Or is not, that, not as, not, as, not, not as a, assiduously as I yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. Um, I imagine if Elizabeth Murray came through, you'd want to take some notes after, record that experience. I, I'd want a selfie with her. Selfie. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'd yeah. tr- I'd sort of say, "Well, how'd you do this?" And she'd say, "Oh, I don't know. It just happened." Yeah, she'd be very humble. She would. Yeah. Um, what about um? Uh, things that you're currently interested maybe the outside of art that 
help you stay inspired or, or get you excited and keep pushing you forward? Or maybe it's art related that, that you're really. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm part of a gallery, which is fascinating to me, Canada, mm-hmm. where most of the artists are much younger than me. Yeah. And the founders um, are giving me a lot of advice and guidance. Mm-hmm. And um, that's keeping me on my toes. Yeah, that's great when the gallerist is actively teaching and directing their artists. I know, you know, there's, I use that word passive uh, back in the conversation, but I think, you know, unfortunately there's a lot of gallerists that are passive. You know, you have your show, it either does well or it doesn't, and then you get back, get to the back of the line and then someone else's turn. And the, the attention is sort of gone unless you're right there in front of them. And, um, well, there are yeah. a lot of art fairs in between. Yeah. So. But, you know, after my show at Canada, just like months afterwards, Phil Grower came over. He made an appointment. I could tell he was very eager to get himself here. And I didn't know what he wanted to say to me. Mm-hmm. But what he wanted to say to me was he just looked at me very sternly and said, you know, just because you sell your paintings doesn't mean they're good. And what, what a lesson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he was not going to be easy on me. Right. And he also said, so you've got people interested in your work. Now, <clears throat> now's the time to make good work, like your best work. Because mm-hmm. then he said, with that mischievous way of his, he said, you know, like, how much longer do you have? Maybe, what, 10 years? Right. Jeez. <laughs> and and I remind him of that. Right. Do you feel like you're making the best work you've ever made right now? I, I don't really know. Right. That's hard to quantify anyhow. It certainly is. Yeah. Um, I was just curious. But uh, but I really, really appreciated... Relative to that question that he asked you. I really appreciated that he was hard on me. Mm-hmm. And he's also gone around the studio and said, this one is awful. This one isn't worth the canvas it's on. Mm-hmm. This one we could never show at the gallery. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is a kind of critique that you don't get from your from people who don't know you well. Right. D- do do your friends, artist friends, are they that forthright with you when you do studio visits? I, I wish them? they would be. Yeah. So you're you're a proponent of the sort of like tough love approach to figuring out what's working, what's not working in the paintings. I'm open to it, but as opposed to the diplomatic, maybe maybe institutional way of talking about it. And when I say institution, like in the in the school or something like that, it's it's hard for me to be. Um, uh, tough, tough yeah. fun people. Yeah, you don't want to be a I, dream crusher. I know you don't. No, that's true. Yeah. What about future art goals or dream projects? I know that's a big question too, but I'm curious. You know, I think working towards stuff and having having some direction for you know what's in your head and and your work is uh, ultimately a healthy thing. Is there anything on that list for you, whether it's real or not? Well. I'm going to tell you a goal I have mm-hmm. that is going to be pretty different from probably the other artists you talk to. 
which is that I've set I have four grandchildren and I've set up a college fund for each one of them. Mm-hmm. And it would make me so happy if I had some part in paying for their college. That's great. That's, That's what my children said. Yeah. Is it a not to get too technical, but is it a five twenty nine? Yes, it yeah. is. I set two I set those up for my kids too. And I'm slowly putting pennies in. <laughs> well, it makes me feel good. Yeah. I feel like uh, it's less selfish. Yeah. However, I, I'm so happy about it. It probably is selfish. That's great. What about for your work? A, a dream project, maybe. You mean where would I like to show it? Or maybe there's a painting you want to make at a scale or or some other project that um, you, you know, could see actually, your work fitting in. Actually, I you're talking to me at a stage in my career where some of my dreams have come true. That's a beautiful thing. It is. Yeah. It's wonderful. So maybe we can circle back and put the focus back on the, the educational savings accounts for your grandkids. Maybe that's that's a big enough goal. You know, I always wanted to be to go to Skowhegan, mm-hmm. especially I was living in Maine, and Skowhegan was an hour and a half drive away. Mm-hmm. But I thought I'd miss my chance because uh, at the time it would have been appropriate, I I had two kids. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't go spend the... I couldn't say to my family, I'm going to go to Skowhegan for the summer. Right. That was out, outrageous. Right. Then... I got this email and I just blinked at it. I just thought, what? And it said, please come and be a faculty at Skowhegan mm-hmm. for nine weeks. And I did it. I was in my 60s. And that was great. And there were bonfires there. Yeah. Great. It was the best. Excellent. And I would say teaching at Yale is along that line too mm-hmm. that's beautiful well Catherine I feel like this is maybe a, a, a good zone to, to wrap it up I really appreciate you sharing and opening up your studio to me and um, um, for talking about your work and, and being so generous with your time really thanks a lot thank this you is, Joe it was a lot of fun And we've made it to the end. A quick reminder that listeners can learn more about this project and the artists featured by visiting deepcolorpodcast.com. You can also find the series and subscribe in iTunes. Thank you for listening and check back soon for a new episode.